Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Ultraverse Podcast, Prime of Your Life, a proud member of the Ultraverse Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. And I'm your co-host, David Gutierrez. Yeah, you are. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. Well, I'm good, but probably not as good as you. <laughs> well, it doesn't have anything to do with the Ultraverse. No, but this is probably, I think when we were tweeting about this back and forth, you said, and you rated this, Firestorm appears on the, Firestorm flies on the Flash television show. Firestorm appears on the Flash television show. This is in descending order of importance. Your birth of your daughter. <laughs> The time you, the time you found a, a, a quarter left of a Mountain Dew, Diet Mountain Dew in your car, <laughs> meeting Shayera, slash marrying Shayera. All right, then, all right. Yes, folks, we are recording on the same night where it was the the mid season finale of The Flash. And sorry, spoilers, as David didn't warn you, but yeah, there was a big firestorm <laughs> thing. And uh, being that I run the Firestorm fan website and have been for a number of years, it's just it's been a bit of an exciting evening. So, of course, tonight's the night David picked to record. Thanks a lot, Dave. It's okay. Since you're the Firestorm fan, that really implies the number of people that actually like the character. <laughs> I think we're okay. There. Thank goodness Robbie and Mel's popular. Otherwise, everyone would be like, Yeah, how did he get that job, I wonder? How did he get that job? I can't imagine. Nepotism sucks. Anyway, so, folks, we are back for another exciting episode of the show. And this is kind of a big deal. This is a month, I don't want to say a month long, but during the month of December 2014, we are celebrating the 21st anniversary of the Breakthrough crossover from the Ultraverse. Right, that's a two-issue crossover that, well, I guess we'll get into this more, but I guess you could say sort of shook the foundations of the Ultraverse and uh, answered some questions, asked some questions, and uh, acted as a... I don't want to say a primer for the for the entire line of books, but certainly introduced you to everybody who's in, who was actively in them at the time. Yeah, I mean it was a perfect sort of like a sampler, you know, for like like a buffet, if you will, for someone who's <laughs> you know only getting maybe the hard case book or the prime book, and they come to breakthrough and they're like they're reading, and they're like, well, okay, I don't necessarily understand what's happening here, and that's worth talking about too. By the way, I think it may have yeah. been impenetrable for somebody who wasn't deeply steeped in the ultraverse. I, I would I would heartily agree with you, <laughs> but um, but they might go, well, this this prototype guy looks pretty cool. What's his story? And they go check out those other books. So it's as you said, a feeder or a, a a sampler of other characters to check out. And I think it would have functioned pretty well in that case. And I will say this, as far as uh, miniseries go, and it's a company-wide crossover, number one, that had two issues that bookended, Breakthrough 1, Breakthrough 2, only lasted a couple months in terms of those, in, in terms of those issues, and then in terms of the, uh, the line itself, only lasted one month. Yeah. So if you wanted to collect the whole thing, you were only out, I won't say out, but you, you, were, you only had to buy a month's worth of Ultraverse titles to get the entire story. In some cases, that's greater than... <laughs> your, your mileage may vary in terms of how much breakthrough there was in there, but... Yeah, I mean, it's just just to give you guys a, kind of a heads up, like, if you want to get the... Th- if you want to read the storyline, you know, pick up... scope. Well, I, I'm just, I was just going to read out the titles, the various titles. Because mm. this, this all came out in December 1993, with issue number two coming out in January 93. But you want to pick up uh, Breakthrough number one, Sludge number three, Solitaire number two, Prime number seven, Mantra number six, Prototype number five, Strangers number seven, I hope you guys are writing all this down, Nightman number two, Freaks number six, Nightman number three, oh, I see, okay, this, I'm reading from a recommended reading order, both right. two and three did not actually come out that month, but they do sort of fit in here well, sorry, right. and Solution number four, 
finally wrapping up with breakthrough number two. So, so if you were to, so if you were to buy just the two minis to two issues, you'd be a little lost <laughs> at turn points. But um, well, but, they they kind of they catch you up, and you notice uh, again. I was reading from the recommended yes, reading order. They skip firearm altogether. I just noticed that. There's a reason. <laughs> firearm number four. If you want to be an absolute completist, because you just like someone saying what. Oh, Red Skies. <laughs> if, you're, if you're familiar with Crisis on Infinite Earths from DC Comics, you know, when they did all those Crisis crossovers, some of them were pretty tangential. It'd be, you know, someone running around a rooftop going, huh, I wonder why the sky's red. Well, back to the adventure. And, <laughs> back uh, to my case. Right. <laughs> and, and that's sort of what the equivalent of Firearm, what it was during the Breakthrough crossover. Well, you know what? I will say this. I think our, our blog, com, might address a bit more of the firearm issue at hand. But really, um, he was mid-adventure. It was only a second issue. And then uh, the event happens, the breakthrough event happens, and that ends his adventure. And then he's done. And then it's off to the next issue, kind of. So it, it was a very strange, strange way to resolve and introduce resolve firearms adventures and introduce the breakthrough uh, crossover into the book. But... But the way we're going to approach this today is uh, we're going to discuss Breakthrough 1, Breakthrough 2, uh, Prime 7, and Solution 4. Mm-hmm. Or what, if, if you want a better idea of what was going on in the other titles, Barry Reese is going to cover The Strangers end of it on the blog. Actually, that's, um, uh, that's already up. Nightman and Freaks are going to be covered by Ben Avery on the Nightman podcast. Solitaire has been covered by Kane Dorr on the blog and possibly uh, further covered on the Wrath of Aladdin podcast. There's, there's something planned for Sludge. I uh, No details yet, but uh, keep an ear out for that. Yep. Where can they find that website with our, our blog? I think it's ultraversepodcast.com. Very good. Very good. By the way, if someone accidentally types in ultraversenetwork.com, it'll take them to the same place. Not to be confused with our um, Twitter handle, which is ultraversenet. That's because Ultraverse Network is too friggin' long for Twitter. So, yeah. <laughs> so if you want to be, if you want to live tweet this episode, it'd be sure to tag us over Ultraverse Net on Twitter. So you can also find us on Google Plus as Ultraverse Network, and watch for our Facebook page coming in the very near future. We're doing good. Yeah, it's been some exciting times. Getting a lot of traction. Getting a lot. Of, we're going to cover some feedback on the back end too. So yep. you, guys, you guys have been great. You know, it's <laughs> David and I were talking before we started recording. You know, for a comic line that's been dead for over twenty years. <laughs> There's still a fair amount of people willing to talk about it, which is great. It's been dead as long, about as long as your soul, Shag, I think. Ouch. Until today. Until resurrected. today, right. It was resurrected because apparently Firestorm is more important than the birth of my daughter. So You said it. <laughs> In that make-believe tweet. <laughs> Shag, uh, quit, quit lifting the veil, man. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, buddy. Okay, let's do this. All right. Through number one. So breakthrough number one. The, the crossover um, is so short they couldn't even afford the, to spell out breakthrough. It's T H R U. Yeah, it's misspelled. <laughs> I give credit to someone on the Facebook group for saying that. By the way, oh, we forgot to mention the Facebook group. Um, oh, you should definitely go out and check out the Ultraverse Facebook group. It's different from what I was saying about the Ultraverse page a moment ago. Ultraverse Facebook group. Go out there, just search for Ultraverse. You'll find it. There's you know 200 plus folks on there. There's creators, people that wrote the books, drew the books interact with these folks on a regular basis it's a great great place for discussing the ultraverse check it out please and you can leave comments about the podcast there as well okay so i'll start off with breakthrough one since this was the, the thing that kicked off obviously the breakthrough event i think that the most significant thing that you could say about this this miniseries was that it was the introduction of george pettis superstar artist marvel dc superstar artist into the ultraverse gp 
From the Titans, the Titan himself, the, himself, I'd say, starts working for Malibu at this time, and it's the perfect. It's it's really the perfect setting for him because if you're going to get some guy to draw a crossover with every character in your universe, who better to choose from than George Pettis? <laughs> um, I was reading his uh, Modern Masters volume the other day. He said that he. He decided to move on from Marvel and DC to the Ultraverse to Malibu because it was they offered the highest page rate he'd ever seen at the time. Oh wow! Then after uh, after Malibu, he went to Techno Techno Comics, the much derided and often joked upon Techno Comics for the very same reason, for the very same reason. And one of the things that he said was strange about uh, the Malibu gig for him was that he had no previous knowledge of the characters that he was drawing. I'm not saying it shows, but he 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 himself said that it it, it just felt strange to just jump into something that kind of was new but kind of wasn't he was drawing people that reminded him of the iconic characters that he made his career on but weren't these people so yeah he had that to say i think that it, didn't skip a beat right you're right it doesn't it doesn't show at all that he, no. that he's missing it that he, these are new to him i mean i'm just going to the cover breakthrough number one here the body language on hard case i mean it's perfect it is that is hard case to the t you know, Mantra looks great. Zip Zap, everyone. Well, of course, Mantra's going to look fantastic. Well, it's- <laughs> but everyone's on model. Everyone like everyone's body language makes perfect sense. It works. Uh, Uriel yes. from Strangers has that kind of aloof way she, you know, arcs back and everything. It's like yeah. dead on. It's great. GP and maybe you know what? Maybe you and uh, and and the notorious Rob Kelly should come up with uh, your own praise be his name or Jerry the Extraordinary. So, some sort of moniker for for Pettis, but uh, we tried, we tried, we we were, I think we were gorgeous George at one point or something like that. <laughs> it's it, we, nothing, nothing's taken yet. It's not like you know Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, name or that guy, or God Jerry damn, the extraordinary Ordway. So yeah, oh, Giants, man. Gi- anyway, um, so the cover for number one, as you were saying, it's beautiful and very reminiscent of uh, his original JLA versus Avengers layout for the. That the, the cover that he did for the when that series was supposed to happen in the eighties, mm-hmm. heroes on both sides of, of on each side of the cover, something in the middle, and they're coming at each they're they're going to charge at each other, and it is beautiful. It is freaking beautiful. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the inside of the book. Um, quick disclaimer: the issues one and two are very dense, and they're they're very character heavy. Uh, my apologies if I just sort of dance around who somebody is, but there are a lot. Everyone is in this book. <laughs> And uh, sometimes it's for a panel or two. Sometimes it's for pages. So please bear with me as I go through. It's sort of like Crisis, where Crisis would do. It the is same very thing. much like Crisis. Yeah, where they it would. Very you'd have, like you said, someone would be you know sludge of appear in a panel or two, even though he's not really relevant to the story or whatever. And it's just right. just how that happens. Yeah. So we open. People are feeling a calling to the moon. They want to travel to the moon. They want to leap off a building to the moon. A pilot takes his plane toward the moon, and it's happening all over the world, but mainly in Southern California. And we are hot off the heels of the tragedy of X Files. X Files, excuse me, Exiles. <laughs> Ex- <laughs> also, I believe that that made its debut in 1993. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Exiles Four, where the entire Exiles team was either killed, missing in action. Or in traction or in a coma. It, it all went to pot for those guys. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Deming, who you might uh, recall from a previous episode as uh, the hot doctor to um, <laughs> the shag, is is recuperating in the hospital. And she's questioned by a creepy-looking guy named Dr. Rains about a woman who is aflame, uh, calling to the moon all alone, all alone. No one is coming. And she's hovering in the L.A. sky. And she's radiating. And she looks like Amber Hunt. 
the exile. As it turns out, she is. And uh, the thing about her is she's shifting in color and radiation spectrums. And it's quickly discovered that she will eventually shift to ultraviolet and burn all life on Earth. We're then taken to Aladdin. Aladdin, as you know, is the mysterious organization that nobody really knows who they're working for or what their purpose is, except that they track ultras and they're trying to control them in some way. That's where Eden Blake, who's secretly Mantra, uses the sexist nature of the, of the Aladdin workers against them. So she, uh, put, put, she kind of bumbles into a situation, bubbles into a meeting and, and, and realizes that, that, that they have an agenda and that, and they, that they want to capture, um, Amber Hunt. And there, she also fi- she doesn't find this out, but we, we as the reader learn that Doctor Reigns is feeding them information. The Pentagon and Ultratech are also discussing the Amber Hunt situation. Pentagon wants to send proto, proto I'm sorry Prime to investigate. Aladdin wants to send its own agent Wrath to investigate, or Wraith. Ultratech wants to send Prototype to investigate. Rex Mundi and the other are also watching this. Rex Mundi is the guy who you might recall from Hard Case Number 1 is the naked guy who watches everybody. And I'm sorry, the other. The alternate is a mysterious woman who also works with, who works with Hard Case and The Solution, and they know that something's up on the moon. Dr. Deming then consults the strangers, who I will say have the, have the most logical tie to, to the events on the moon, um, namely Spectral, Who's who's the one guy who can uh, who can change his color because his colors his powers are based on whatever color he is he's using, um, but unfortunately he can't add much to what's going on. Doctor Deming deduces that Amber will eventually shift to violet, as I said earlier, and Doctor Rain, still spying for Aladdin, tells the strangers to stay put as the government will have everything in control. Aladdin wants to ground the Ultras for fear of what will happen if they reach the moon. Aladdin takes the readers through the through what I would call the street level. Street level heroes of the Ultraverse, and that includes Sludge, Firearm, Solitaire, Rune, and the Freaks. And then their adventures follow, their own breakthrough adventures follow in their own titles. But these, these, these guys of Sludge, Firearm, Solitaire, Rune, and, and Freaks have the least to do with the breakthrough mini. So don't get attached to them if you're really into them. <laughs> um, Mantra then, um, Eden Blade becomes Mantra. All of a sudden, she's, <laughs> she's in the sky like skies. And uh, she makes contact with Amber. And proto- as prototype, um, Shag's favorite uh, iron teenage jerk, I believe, right? He's a teenager. Oh, he's he's, like a, he's a total total jerk, but he's, he's so – I love it. He's love our it. jerk. He's our jerk. He's a, yeah, um, there it is. He's our jerk. Yeah. He's a jerky Iron Man. More a jerkier Iron Man, I should say. Um, Mantra then uh, establishes a rapport with Amber, and, defined, and she realizes that Amber is the conduit for something alien that wants to contact the Ultras on Earth. Then the strangers arrive, but at the same time, so does the Quattro, and those are Rex Mundy's bad guys. Um, you might remember them from Solitaire 1. The heroes and the villains converge, and they yep, engage... Yep. Solution 1. Solution 1. Thank you very much. Too many, too many S's. The heroes and the villains converge and engage each other over the fate of Amber Hunt. Battle, battle, fight, fight. We also are introduced to Warstrike, whom you may remember from Mantra 1, who tries to assassinate Amber after having a vision of the world going kablooey, but Zip Zap of the Stranger stops him. Now, the solution and Prime (laughs) and Choice arrive. And uh, Hardcase. And Hardcase convinces everyone to save Amber as she may be the key to unlocking the origins of their powers. Prime, who's doing his own thing, takes off to the moon in his spiffy new Prime suit. Uh, Rex Mundi orders the Quattro back and they escape the, uh, the battle by sending out a strong audio pulse that, strong, that stuns everyone. 
And then the heroes all come to, and then they decide, hey, our answer's not on Earth, Jag. They're up there on the moon. Dun, 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 dun. And that's the end of issue one. Woo! Now, this was about 36 pages that I both thought. <laughs> I, I have to say, I don't know how it was for the reader at home, or listener at home. They may have been just like, I don't know what the hell's going on. But for me, I, I got to say, you did a really good job recapping that. I mean, I, I did not envy you when we doled out who got what assignment. Yeah. It was no accident that you got assigned Breakthrough, by the way. Uh, I was punching myself in the nuts the whole time. <laughs> if that's what helped you get through it, brother, that's fine. You did a good job. Keep it up. Keep Thank punching. You. Keep but, swinging. So, so, yeah, so real quickly... Everyone is in this book to some, to some to a greater degree, some to a degree of firearm <laughs> and, and sludge. Um, real quick note about sludge, firearm, solitaire, rune, and the freaks. The panels with them are really just um, almost highlights of what's happening in their own books at, the ver- at, at that time. Uh, everyone else in, uh, in the Breakthrough cast has a pretty pivotal – well, some piv- – I won't say pivotal, but – Certainly has their their um, their time in in the spotlight more so than these guys. I'd say it's fair to say the core books for for breakthrough, yeah, are going to be prototype and strangers together. Yeah. Yes, Solu- hard case and solution together. Right, mantra on its own, prime on its own. Mantra and prime kind of together. Well, in in breakthrough they're together, but they're not they're not together. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. When they get to Earth, there's more of a bond between yes, those and two. subsequent yeah. issues. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think of the one? I enjoyed it. You know, it's 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 a fun, big, almost like like we said, crisis on Infinite Earth level, and and I mean that as a compliment because Crisis is like my favorite crossover ever. So it, it gives you that sort of wide epic scope, like something's building. You feel like something's happening. That scene where the solution and hard capes hard case come flying out of the ship to join the fight. Beautiful one pager, right? Oh, it's so, a, it's a well, it's actually a half splash. Well, half spread, yeah. Because yeah, you get some panels below that. But it, it actually, I don't know why, it all clicked at that point for me where I was like, you know what? The logical follow-up to this would have been a book called Hard Case and the Solution. Like, he should have joined their team. Or he should have been their t- became their team leader. Well, if you can afford them, you can hire the Solution. <laughs> you can hire Hard Case and the Solution. Is what it, what it, what it that would be a great, that's a great name. It is, isn't Actually. it? Hard Case and the Solution. It so you know what? Don't, don't, don't leave my choice out of there. I love that well, character. I don't even know why. She would have the team, too. Cutie. Cutie. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's a beautiful book. It is lovely. And this is not, um, this may sound like a criticism of my, of my GP, but it's not. His artwork is so very different, though, than what's going on in all the other books. If you look at, um, like, Cully Hamner, Benedetta, uh, I think, I forget who's doing, um, Hard Case at the time. Is it, um, Lopresti or? No, Lopresti was doing Sludge. Sludge. I'm sorry. Lopresti's doing Sludge. It's so different than everybody else's. It's, it's, it's a very – because it's such a classic style. It's, actually, it's not classic at the time. It's very modern. But everybody else's is, is such a departure from Pettis. And, and probably the closest – kind of the closest guy you got to that is uh, John, Jeff Johnson on, on Solitaire. Well, I would say Hoberg, Strangers. Hoberg, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. as I'm looking at this, especially the scenes with the strangers in it, besides the fact that they're on model, it just works. It's all beautiful, though. And everyone looks so di- – here's the thing. He's got a cast of like nine I'm, – I'm making this – I'm being facetious with his number, but everybody looks different. <laughs> everybody has looks distinct, and it's just beautiful. I love this guy. He, he does amazing work. I mean, it's sort of like what happened to him. Well, it's what are you talking about? He's, I'm kidding. I'm saying like we, we, we uh, never saw him again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Where's George? <laughs> 
it's sort of like probably you know it, you're, the feeling you're experiencing where the the jarring shift in art styles with this book and other books is probably very similar to what people felt like when New Teen Titans came out. You know, oh, I dig that, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're reading action comics with Gil Kane or you know whatever title you might be reading, and then you read a New Teen Titans issue, or for example, New Teen Titans number six, the climactic battle with Trigon gets drawn by Kurt Swan, you know, whatever, you feel that jarring change in art styles, and you're like, whoa. So I can see what you mean. For me, I'm just on. I'm such a lover of Perez's work. I'm just on. You're still drooling. You're wiping the drool from your mouth on this book. Uh, well, I, I I have ruined a few copies of this book. That's correct. It's so beautiful. And you know what? Like the panel breakdown, it, it sucks that this is not a visual medium because I wish I could just show people these pages. But the, the panel breakdown, considered like he has to fit in a lot of goddamn story into this thing. And he does. And it's beautiful. And the the um, the fights are – because it, it's a fight book, right? So the fights are, well, are well-paced. I, go ahead and finish your thought. Sorry. And the exposit, exposition scenes are well-paced. Um, my only criticism of this, of, of, of this, of this issue is, um, it feels a little uneven sometimes and it's not bad as I think it's just the story because there's so much they have to get in to get to the moon and they have to establish why people are going, who's against who, who might be against who later. It just, it felt a little clunky for me. See, for me, it felt like, well, I, I didn't feel, I, I didn't feel the clunky. I did feel with the scene transitions you're talking about. I understand what you mean there, but it just felt like a lot of, Build up, yeah. It's fight and build up, fight and build up, and expo. I don't know that issue two is. What am I trying to say? With the level of build up that you're feeling in this and where it's going, I don't know that number two had a chance of paying off. Okay, you know, I don't know who could be successful enough to pay off. Okay, so I, I think well, we'll see that when we get there. We leave off knowing that there's an alien intelligence or something is calling the ultras and the humans. Although none of the ultras are trying to kill themselves, which is interesting, in this in the in these stories anyway, um, in this issue anyway, none of the ultras are trying to kill themselves. It's only the humans. Um, well, didn't the aren't the freaks referenced in here? Isn't um, oh she's going crazy? Pressure's she's freaking not, out. Yeah, pressure's freaking out, but she's not trying to kill. It. She's not trying to climb a mountain or anything. Well, she's I mean? yelling up there. I mean, it's, it's hinted at that that's going to happen. This is continued in freaks number six. Do you know? Well, I guess we might find out why she's the only one who's. Um, the Boom Boy gets affected too. Oh, that's right. That's right. You should read The Freaks. It's a good book. Free Act. I'm reading Free X. Is that the same thing? <laughs> I'm reading this book called Generation X that came out around the same time. Oh, different. Um, okay. Okay, so it's now it's your turn, Shag. Take us, take us, take us deep into the heart of, uh, into the breakthrough crossover. All right. So we're going to look at two of the, the tangents that came out of here that were sort of critical. Tangent? Uh, wrong, wrong podcast. Sorry, sorry. Michael Bradley just sat up and woke up. He's like, what? What? So, first we're He gonna, loves you. He's a great guy. First, we're going to talk about Prime you. number seven. But before we talk about Prime number seven, we've got to take a step back a couple months to Prime number five. In Prime number five, the government, uh, General, I think his name Samuels, took yep. possession of Kevin and the Prime form. They basically kidnapped them, and they've been working on them trying to use artificial means of prolonging the life uh, life uh, span of those bodies that Kevin produces, these uh, the gelatinous forms of Prime. And in fact, the previous issue, Prime number six, ended where the government was successful in altering a Prime form into, as you mentioned, that space-worthy version. Now, they did this with a lot of experimentation and subliminal messages and sort of reprogrammed the Prime form. It's kind of an interesting look. It's got a closed face.
face mask, so there's no mouth, no nose. It's got a lot of shiny, like, well, it's always had the shiny gold, but now it's got some shiny silver on it as well. And you can see huge bulges in the thighs and on the back. These, it's where they. He's still roiding. Well, this is some crazy looking stuff, though. It's because he's got air tanks uh, underneath his skin, basically, and for Kevin to be able to breathe. And also, he's got underneath there, he's got like a spacesuit. He's really ready to go. So. You know what I like, though? He still has the hair. He does still have the hair. Which, which you know what? That's like a big F you to guys like you and me. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I've got long, luscious locks. Oh, wait. That's just the back. That was, that's, never mind. That's your back hair. That was back in 93. I had that's long. your back hair. That, thank you for that. So, anyway, the, one of the interesting things is that this is the first time we've seen an alternate form for Prime. Yes. And later on, that sort of becomes a hallmark of the characters for Prime to change forms. So that's kind very of very toyetic. What's that? He's very toyetic. <laughs> Prime number seven, written by Gerard Jones, Len Straczynski, art by Norm Breifogel. Awesome. Uh, lettered by Tim Aldred, editors Chris Ulm and Hank Canals, uh, color design by Keith Conroy, and interior colors by Violet Hughes. Hank Canals, yeah. Is that okay? Canals is that okay? Oops, I should be able to say yeah, that. Gerard Jones actually, who ended, who who wrote Break, Breakthrough, although it was plotted with the entire Malibu staff of writers, and uh, of course George Bettis and John Lowe. John Lowe did the inking. Bettis did the uh, did the interiors. So there. <laughs> okay, well now back to Prime. Thanks for you know interrupting my flow. Uh, Sorry. Because I don't do that to you. Tit for tat. (laughs) All right, so Prime number seven opens up. Prime is flying upwards toward... He's aiming towards the moon, out of Earth's atmosphere, crossing his fingers, not figuratively, not literally, that his suit would be able to maintain its integrity and allow him to do this. He is successful. And any time you fly out of the atmosphere, what do you get? You get a good flashback, you know? (laughs) And it's all about how Prime got this new body, meeting President Clinton, you know, uh, and what he had to go through with Amber Hunt, all this stuff. So, anyway, Prime is rocketing out of the atmosphere. He arrives on the moon and has some gravity, flight, super strength, sort of like challenges and hijinks where he's bouncing and landing in the dust and all that stuff. Anyway, ultimately, he's following this weird signal to its source. And as he's following the signal, which we know from uh, reading Breakthrough Number 1, it's going to be this alien entity on the moon. He's not sure what it is, though, because he wasn't at the Amber Hunt discussion. Right. He is, as he's flying along, a giant rock formation bursts out of the ground, springs right up in front of him, and he smashes into it. It's right out of Star Trek V. That's true. What does God need a spaceship for? So anyway, he's then surrounded by these giant rock formations. He's circled in, and he's attacked. And it's sort of a weird kind of mental attack. A lot of hallucination type stuff, but some of it's actually happening. Like there's these statues uh, that are created that look very lifelike, yet there's still statues of his family, of presidents of the United States, of uh, the girl he has a crush on, Kelly. Basically, it's, it's all this alien entity trying to communicate with him. Prime, you know, sort of perseveres and pushes his way through this and smashes his way through this cave wall into where he perceives that the source of the signal is. And he comes face-to-face with this giant volcano, which appears to be the origin of the electronic game Simon. <laughs> and uh, they they make a mental connection, and then there's a prime sort of like sorting through, trying to understand what the information that's being sent into his brain by the entity, and he suddenly understands it better. He becomes sort of quiet and stoic, and he's like, you know, he he understands, and he's sort of standing by 
almost as if now he's going to protect the Simon Says game and uh, the volcano. And then it's to be continued in breakthrough number two. Right. So they think? will wait for it, for they are coming. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I was trying to identify which of those, which presidents were in the three-headed president rock dude monster. I couldn't really. Well, one's one's uh, Bill Clinton. What? Okay. One's George Bush and uh, senior, and one's uh, Ronald Reagan. All right. Yeah, it's just sure. like Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Just like that, yeah. Mount Crushmore. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I think, I thought it was, it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of buildup. <laughs> just to get him to the moon. It was beautiful, though, because, you know, I love the Brayfo. Oh, my gosh. Brayfo um, such a good artist. And I re- a couple things. I loved how Kevin doesn't – I mean, he's he's just a kid. Mm-hmm. So physics don't really factor into his thinking when it comes to going to the moon. Like, how, how am I going to operate on the moon? It's completely different. Right. You know, gravity is different. Um, I like that he can't speak, and that will come into play later. Right. Uh, he's, he's, he's muted. And I just and I really I really like the idea that uh, through it's gonna, it's gonna sound weird that I say this, but through hypnosis and or was it subliminal, a subliminal messaging and uh, and I guess through some sort of weird treatment that they're able to to figure out how to uh, modify his his prime form and and even and, and even uh, and even modify it to the point where you can install air tanks in it. Right. It, it's something that sadly uh, his adaptability. I guess, or his uh, his prime form's adaptability isn't exploited as 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 much as it probably could have been had had it, had the series run for longer than it did. Oh, see, it's funny because as a prime reader, I didn't like it. I, really? I, I didn't. Mind, well, I liked the space look. The space look was pretty cool. But like when he goes to the Rogue Prime version, and I was fine with it for like an issue or two, but then it hung around for what like half a year, maybe. It was a while. Yeah, I was like, I'm ready for this to go. That was the first Ultra Ultra Force version of Prime, too, I think. Well, it's sort of like Grant Morrison's run on Justice League, how he had to inherit the Justice League with the electric blue Superman. No, he didn't. That came later. Oh, well, he had to deal with it for an issue or two. Yeah. But, yeah, okay. Either way, I liked the space-suited version. It kind of reminded me of, like, Iron Man stealth armor kind of thing or space yeah. armor. Well, I love that stuff. So, but... It, yeah, I, I felt, see. For me, I felt, I felt like it led to too much malleability of, of the look. But either way, it's, yeah, I mean, six and one half dozen of the other. You get Spider-Prime out of it, so... Yeah, you do, and uh, I'm really sad that this figure was never made. Oh, it's so cool! It would have been a great figure. It absolutely would have been a great figure. Instead of uh, instead of another repaint, <laughs> red, the red, white, and blue version, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, there's a Nightfire Prime, I think, or something. And, yeah. So there, there's an interesting. I like when you're talking about being Kevin. I like there's a whole page here where he's flying to the moon, and he's thinking about what a cool report he could write on going to the moon for school. Right. And that really just shows the mentality of, you know, a, a 13, 14-year-old kid of thinking about he's going to the moon and he would like to write a report and they might even let him present it around the county. You know, or the the county. country or county, I don't remember, whatever it was. But the district, all over the district. So it's just like, you know, that he thinks on such a small scale. And, you know, having kids myself, I, I get it. It makes sense. And I like that. It's a really nice touch, I felt like, in the story. Now, Kevin is always, I would say, probably one of the best written characters in the Ultraverse. Yeah. Beginning to end. He's fully realized and, uh, and he, because he makes a lot of mistakes, right? Because he's a kid. 
Well, I got to tell you, having read so much of the Ultraverse recently and reading the entire line up to Breakthrough, which, by the way, made Breakthrough number one easy peasy for me to understand. I totally knew what was going on because I knew every character up to that point. Kevin, yeah, he's very developed. There's a lot of other really well-developed characters in the story, in, in, the, in the line, you know. Strang- I'm not, oh, yeah. Strangers has got some decent development for such a big Solution. Group. Solution, Sludge. You know, the way they're developing that character out, at least in those earliest issues where I am right now. Firearm, of course. I mean, Nightman. Oh. It's, it's, there's a lot of stuff Nightman. out there that's really worth talk, you know, continuing to talk about. I'm glad we're doing this. I'm glad I'm rereading these, too. Now, I have some stuff in here that's not my favorite. The whole right. thing where he has the hallucinations. President Clinton, you're your you're, you're arch enemy. Oh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm all about the saxophone. So where he's fighting the statues of, like, his family and stuff. I you mentioned Star Trek earlier. I'm glad you did because it makes a good reference. I am a fan of the straightforward Star Trek adventures. I don't like where they fight the unknowable enemies. I hate those episodes. I like an encounter at Farpoint. I freaking hate it. I hate the unknowable enemy. It just drives me nuts. Right. Why is Abe Lincoln on the Enterprise? Well, like that. Like- but see, there they broke it down into workable terms. You know, okay. you got Abe Lincoln. So that when when Prime's fighting the statues, and again, it's that sort of unknowable quantity. Eh, right. It's not my thing. I don't like mental battles. So it is a weird thing to. Um, what did you think? Was that beam? The beam was eating through his Prime form, right? Yeah, it, lo- and, it was like a little laser drilling through his head. I kept imagining like cheese melting is kind of what. But once it reaches his head, it, it well, I guess his skin and skull. It doesn't drill anymore. It, it then it attacks him psychically. Yes, it's, yeah. it does appear to be what it is. That is a, that that was a little weird to me, and the battle that you know, the battle of oneself, like the Superman three battle. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it those often fall on their face more so than, than they're successful. You know, I got a question about the two page splash, where yeah. they talk about how they've been sent. You know, well, they don't. The say, framing was a lot on that. They don't say that, but I understand what's going on from having read some of the other issues here, in the in the crossover. Prime is seeing other jump starts that the alien has done. Right, through the ages. One is, you know, with the cavemen. Yep. One is apparently the birth that, of Christ. And that's Rex Mundi, right? Ah, Not Jesus. is that who that is? The, no, wait. The one between strangers and Christ? Yeah, no, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. I, don't, there's I, a, I gotta, there's that's way at the end of, of Hard Case's run is the whole Rex Mundi thing. So. Okay, because... I don't know anything about Rex. So I was wondering, who's that dude? There's one dude in between the streetcar and the three wise men, and I didn't know who that was. I was like, is that supposed to be Hard Case when he got zapped? But he doesn't look like that. Jesus, Jesus is an ultra. We'll say again. Jesus is an ultra. It's the, the, <laughs> I don't know. It's what, it's, it's what seems to be what they're hinting, or at least maybe the North Star was something. I don't know. It might have been. Because you see, you see the three wise men, and you see a glow behind them. So... They were the first squad, the, the three wise men. Oh, my gosh. You're an equal opportunity offender, aren't you? How is that offensive? That they were a super team? <laughs> I want to see a little animated series for the three wise men. The wise men. Murr. Okay. Frankincense. Right. Moving on. Mud. Mud with two Ds because it's extreme 90s. Moving on. <laughs> if, right. you, if you want to follow another line heading out of the breakthrough number one, check out Prototype and Strangers from that month. 
you will see a, it's, a, it's a joined story. You know, it, it, they connect together with a stranger steel rocket and fly up into space. And they go to a Russian right. satellite and they deal with a crazy alien, which really has nothing to do with Breakthrough, except for the fact that they stole a spaceship and they're on oh, the space. space. They, they go to a space station and it's alien yes, time. It yeah. is alien time, so... All right, but we are going to focus instead on solution number four. But before we do that, I have to talk about hard case number seven for just a moment or two. Hard case back in number five had met, as you mentioned, the alternate, which is yes. essentially the opposite number to Rex Mundy. I mean, in fact, the way that the alternate is portrayed, she really does seem to be literally an opposite, like almost a monitor, anti-monitor kind of thing, you know? And yeah. She also goes by Regina. Which means queen. Does it really? You didn't know that? I did not. Are you being a smartass? I am not being a smartass. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that. Okay. Rex King, Regina Queen. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yep. It's like an onion. There's just layers upon layers. Dude. So, Learn Spanish. <laughs> I did. I just forgot it all. So, <laughs> Hard case number seven. So Regina explains uh, that the jump start's been happening. For, this is where I found out about the jump start. She explains that the jump start's been happening for years and that the, it's the thing on the moon has been sending down jump starts for some reason. And that's, in fact, how Hard case got his powers years before the strangers. Then she explains that NME has been killing the jump-started ultras since the beginning for Rex Mundy. So, and again, you see a lot of these parallels in the issue as Rex talks to his bad guys and Regina talks to Hardcase and Choice. You see a lot of parallels there. Now, Regina wants Hardcase and Choice to travel to the moon, and she, in fact, wants them to team up with The Solution, which, again, should have spun out to Hardcase and The Solution. But anyway, after they meet up with The Solution shortly, then you get uh, Hardcase and Choice fighting a tidal wave, because, you know, that's what you do. And finally, uh, Regina takes Hardcase and Choice to an underground bunker into a spaceship, and that leads into Solution number four, which is really what we're here to talk about. So, and I have to tell you, when we first reviewed Solution Number One, I wasn't all that on board with Solution Number One. But I have now read up through Issue Four, and the book got much better. I, uh, uh, how many shower scenes are in this book? None. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I can get on board with Solution now. I, I, the first issue was not a strong mm-hmm. start, but it gets really? better. Yeah. Who? Yeah, one of us was a fan from day one. So were they? Yep. Yeah. Well. Issue one didn't didn't deserve their fandom. So, all right, all right. So, solution number four has a great wraparound cover by Derek Robertson. I mean, it is really cool. Yes. On the left, you've got Hardcase leading solution because you know, as I said it before, that's where he belongs. And on the right, you've got the Quattro, who I don't know when they got that name. It just snuck in one day. Like at no point did they say like we're called the Quattro. At least I don't think. It just suddenly they were being referred to as the Quattro. Did I miss a, I Did I miss an introduction of that somewhere? You know, that's one of those things where I re- I remember their trading card. Yeah. And don't remember. I just remember that's what they were called. You know, I don't remember the when or how or okay. yeah. I, sorry. You know, I still got to open my trading cards. They're sitting like I keep waiting for like the right moment. So. You think this will go? Be- this is going to go below your daughter, right? Below the daughter birth. <laughs> the the cards. Yeah. yeah, they're not going to be as big a deal as my dog. Firearm, watching Firearm Zero, still above the wedding? Um, yeah. yeah, I think so, okay. especially when okay. I rewatched it recently. Porsche era. Man. Man. Talk about something that didn't keep. Oh, man. Porsche era. <laughs> it, uh, it, made, uh, it made silk stockings look pretty, pretty darn good So for the same time period. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so solution number four opens up with tech on board, sort of like thinking back, remembering everything that's been going on. 
another flashback on the way to the moon. Exactly. Oh, by the way, I should have read the credits. Uh, you get writer James Hudnell, Derek Robinson on pencils, Barb Kalberg, inker, Tim Eldred, letter, Hank Cannell's editor, Moose Bauman as color designer, and Violent Hughes as interior colorist. So, Can I correct you really quick? It's Derek Robertson. What am I saying? Robinson. Ah, am I saying Robinson? It is Robertson. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So on board the ship, again, is the solution and hard case and choice. They're hurtling towards the moon, and they are chasing another spaceship full of Rex Mundi superpowered goons, the Quattro, combined with a group called the Omega Team, which I don't remember them having a name either, but anyway. <laughs> How did you find that out? Because, yeah, I don't remember. It's, it's buried in the issue here. Okay, so, yeah. The Quattro is, if I've got my people broken up under the right teams, yep. is Death Dance, Book, Meat Hook, and Gate. And yes. the Omega Team is Trouble... Needler and Gun Nut. Gun Nut from Florida. <laughs> right, because of course he has to be from Florida. <laughs> so we get a flashback as where Regina is providing uh, them with the spaceship, and she's also giving everyone these techno-organic spacesuits, which sort of like grow around you, and then they, these helmets come up when you need them. Oddly enough, Rex Mundy's guys have exactly the same sort of headset, head, you know, uh, techno-organic suits. We see some of the events of Breakthrough Number 1 in the flashback. Then we have an interesting conversation where Hardcase is sort of talking with the solution, and Verk, who I think also goes by Outrage, isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. He is like antagonizing Hardcase. He's giving him a hard time. Meanwhile, Dropkick, go to Poserville. <laughs> Dropkick is brown nosing Hardcase hardcore, like to the point where he's like, "Yeah, you've got all the raw talent. I could train you to be awesome." So it's like, oh, it's, there's a little arrogance and a little brown nosing going on there from from Dropkick, but. And it's probably the most characterization we've seen out of Dropkick yet. Dropkick yet, so it was kind of nice. So the the heroes and the bad guys end up catching up with each other in space, and we get a space superhero fight. So not spaceship to spaceship, but man to man, and uh, it's pretty cool. And then meanwhile, Tech decides to sneak over to the enemy ship. She's like, okay, well they're all distracted, you know, doing with a punchy punchy. I, I would say punchy punchy run run, but you can't run in space. So, so she so- flies over to the enemy ship. Meanwhile. Her opposite member, Gate, heads over to their ship and sabotages their ship. So, once everyone's back in their respective ships, the heroes are chasing the villains and such, and the hero ship is literally dissolving around them. And yep. they don't know that whether they're going to make it to the moon or not, and it is to be continued. Yep. Ba-boom goes their ship. Oh, I guess that is the ship exploding at the end yeah. there, isn't it? Okay. Which is where Breakthrough Number 2 picks up. There's also a pinup by... Uh Devar Rodriguez and Calleros, I think, are their names. Oh, yeah. There is, isn't there? Yes, did you like this one? It wasn't bad. You it, back on board? I Well, I think issue three is I like better for Solution, which was kind of mm. a self-contained story where Outrage had to deal with some different folks. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a good story. I, I, really, I just really feel like Hard Case fits so well. You know, I guess it's because it's the same writer, isn't it? Hud- yeah, it's Hudnall. I hadn't picked up on that until it literally just fell out of my mouth just now. Maybe that's why they work so well together. I don't know. But I've been surprisingly enjoying the Hard Case series quite a bit as I've been See, reading that. Let me ask you this. Just a quick sidebar about yeah. Hard Case. Yeah. Do you like Hard Case himself? <laughs> you mentioned this before. You said you never really liked the character, but you liked the supporting character. I liked him the at the end. I liked him more at the end, but at the beginning I didn't care for him. But Choice, I really like Choice. Well, you're supposed to. She's like, I think she's... Well, we got to get into that in just a minute because we, I think some stuff gets revealed in Breakthrough that I don't think has been revealed in Hard Case yet. But anyway. Right. Uh, Which is cool. So he's not the most likable guy. Like he's supposed to be a, like a kind of a Captain America sort of dude. 
But he doesn't come off that way. He comes off as a L.A. douchebag kind he's, of. He's got the ponytail, right? So well, you immediately just, know. He's got the ponytail, but you know he's got the whole PR team, and you know he's making movies, and he's. You feel like he's fighting crime more for fun than because it, he feels like it's really the right thing to do. It's not his patriotic right. duty kind of thing. So yeah, he's not my favorite character. But I surprisingly, when I finish an issue, I'm like, okay, where's the next one? You know? No, yeah, I, I told you it's one of my favorite books in the line. But the, I don't like him for a long time, and then he becomes really tragic. He becomes kind of a tragic character toward the end of this. Spoilers? Anyone really? We, it's not a spoiler to say that it, the book is a tragedy. Again, spoiling? Is that, is no. that what you, is it? Do you go around nope. telling little kids that like Darth Vader's Luke's dad too? Do you do that? I mean, that was a tragedy too. Well, I, I'm just saying, spoiling. You know, Rosebud is a sleigh. That's not. You know, is that what you do for? If, if wait, so wait, hang on, hang on a second. You're saying saying the tone of a book is spoiling it? Yeah, really. <laughs> really. If you could throw okay. as many insults at me as you have tonight, then yes. <laughs> well, listen, you. Are known, uh, I don't know what's the word. I don't let's, know. Let's just talk about breakthrough. Let's talk about breakthrough. But um, there, there was that one bit in this book that it took me, I had to reread it a couple of times um, where uh, I couldn't figure out that Gate got back to, left his ship or got back to the uh, Regina ship or the Solution mm-hmm. ship. One, because they look exactly alike. Right. So, and it was just a panel of like a blip or something. It was. I, I, it took me a, f- a little while to figure out what had just happened, and it wasn't until that I, I realized, oh, so Tech is on their ship, um, Gate is on Gate is on his ship, but now he's back on on, on their ship, but now he's back on their, on his ship. That I that I figured out what what had happened, and that he had dropped the package, but she had made her way. It was that was that part kind of bumped me. But. It I, I could see where you were struggling with that. That that makes sense because I I didn't realize until the second reading. I don't think I just, I don't think I paid enough attention the first time I read through. Right. It, is what it was. I was just kind of like when you're in a, you're in, you're just in reading mode and you're like okay this is happening and this is happening. Yeah. You're not necessarily thinking about why. You know the second time I was like when I was having to take notes <laughs> I was like right. what's happening here? Who's he, what's he? Why is he destroying his own ship? Uh, right. Yeah, that was it was really weird. And then because well I think what threw you was uh, Gates' line about getting the drop on Leela's beautiful body. Remember he said something like that. I must have missed that. Yeah, he, he makes a mention of how hot Leela is. But it wasn't until that scene that I realized that they're supposed to be opposite members to each other. Right. Like each one is each one of the what are they called again? I forgot or the Quattro. Quattro are yeah. parallels to right. someone on the solution, so you know it makes for a good teaming. And I didn't put together that Gate and Tech are the, are are paired members until then. By the way, Death Dance, hubba hubba, right? Well, she's she's hot. She looks just yeah. like that zealot lady from the Wildcats, though. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess exactly they're kind like of around zealot. the same time. What's that? They're kind of around the same time, right? Well, remember Malibu launched Image before this. Oh, that's true. Sorry. Yeah, so Wildcats. That's true. Before that's this. exactly true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. But yeah, no, I I, uh, I like this one. If 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 you're a fan of if you're just reading the Solution or Hard Case and you don't read Breakthrough. You might wonder what happened to them, or why they're why why they're all of a sudden uh, plummeting to Earth, <laughs> plummeting the, to the moon surface. To the mo- no, no, after breakthrough, because you know there's there's a trip home. Oh, I'm sorry, plummeting to the moon. Yeah, I haven't. Read but there's that. a weird trip home for them, but um, oh, I haven't got there yet. Okay. Yeah. So, what was your deal with choice? What what what, what was uh 
Well, it's in Breakthrough, really, is where it gets discussed. Okay. Her whole deal is still a mystery in Hard Case right. right now at this point. Like, we don't know. All we know is she can't talk about certain issues. Like, she seems to, there's a mental blockage that will not allow her to talk trash about the Choice Corporation in front of right. anyone except for Hard Case. Whereas, when you get to Breakthrough, she actually says something like she's got a computer chip in her brain or something. Yes. And it, yeah, yeah. I've kind of figured out that she's got a computerized brain just from hard case. So I feel like it's kind of leaning that way anyway. Like maybe right. she's a robot like Candy is in Strangers or something. Well, I think she was... If uh, I'm, and don't spoil. I don't know right. that. But she is sort of the perfect woman. Right. I, I kind of figured she was an amalgam of, of something. I, she was right. constructed is what it seems like. She's exotic because she's Asian. Back then, well, it's the nineties, you know. Psy- yeah, isn't that funny? How exotic just meant Asian. Well, she's an exotic beauty. The, the perfect example of that is Psylocke. You know, they made right. her Asian for no reason other than Jim Lee wanted to draw an Asian chick. So, and then yeah, and then you get Layla, Layla from the tech from the solution. Yep, exactly. All right, so let's wrap this up with Breakthrough Two. Mm-hmm. So if issue two picks up right after the solution hard case crossover. Um, and prototype strangers. And prototype strangers. It picks up right after the solution hard case crossover. Uh, we are now on the moon. The Quattro encounter Prime and they fight. Uh, you'll find that Mantra has reached the moon under her own power. That tale is in Mantra, her title. And then uh, the strangers and prototype arrive and they meet up with hard case, the choice, and the solution on a different part of the moon. On Earth, the fight continues. After the events in the other books and um, on Earth, there's a quick uh, – they quickly dust on or touch on Rune, Solitaire, Firearm, the Freaks, and Nightman. Um, you don't – In Warstrike. Oh, in Warstrike. I'm sorry. I forget about War- – oh, Warstrike and Wrath or Wraith, Wrath. Um, you can't tell them apart sometimes. The f- I, I'll say this about the, the f- treatment of Firearm in this book is, is, a little, is a little off. I think his characterization is a little off. Back on Earth, the fight's going on. Warstrike foresees nuclear devastation with Amber at the heart of it. So he and Wraith are fighting it out. Sludge is in New York being mobbed. So is Solitaire. Nightman and Firearm again are on the periphery. If you want to see what's going on with, with the freaks and Sludge and Nightman, that's going to be covered by Ben in his podcast and his blog. Uh, Solitaire's adventures or misadventures with the breakthrough. Um, Aftermath will be covered by Kane. So we're back on the moon. And Prime is defending the cave that the alien entity is, is housed in. Um, and he's defending it from hard case. And this is where the interesting note about Prime un- being unable to speak comes into play. He has no mouth, so he can't communicate with Prime. And it's really hard for him because – I'm sorry, he can't communicate with hard case. And hard case is his hero, yet here he is having to beat the hell out of his hero. Hard case then gets the drop on Prime. Prime starts to go a little gooey. And then, uh, but he's eventually re- rescued by Mantra. Back to the street. <laughs> yeah, he is. Oh, yeah, yeah. He comes to staring at her chest. It, it, and you know, she even says at one point, you know, My I'm eyes up, are here. up here. I'm yeah. up here. <laughs> it, it's so great. But you know what's interesting? Or not interesting. It's almost a, a missed opportunity because uh, I think if you just read Breakthrough, you don't know. You really don't know the, about the, what the deal is with Mantra necessarily. How about Lucas? Yeah. So that that joke might fall a little flat. Um, so we're back with the other guys, and it turns out everyone's got their own agenda when it comes to this alien. So the strangers, why, why, why real, kind of betrays tech and choice because she wants to reach the entity first because she thinks that uh, 
she needs she she wants to find out what's going on with it more than anybody. Uh, there's more interhero fighting. Of course, strangers jump in to defend their own, as they say. So that leads to a fight between the solution, choice, hard case. Um, but so there's more. There's uh, who calls it fighting McFightenstein? Um, Andrew. That's an Andrew uh, Leyland. I think copyright term. Uh, I love that guy. Andrew Andrew Leyland's fighting with Feinstein and Sue's, and then that's broken up by Mantra, where she Mantra lays down the law. She says, "What's up, guys?" Or let me tell you, "What's up, guys?" Then we learn the true nature of the jumpstart. The entity on the moon is actually a black box from an alien race, and what it's doing is it's sending messages to Earth that can help create ultras. The idea is that the ultras will provide the power for the black box to send its data back to its home world, back on Earth. The worst thing happens because uh, amber goes ultraviolet, and what that means is the Earth's going to be bathed in ultraviolet rays, and it's going to cook everyone from within and kill them. Well, if they're going to start in L.A., that's not quite so bad. That's okay. Thank you, Shaq. <laughs> Thunderdome, a.k.a. Florida. <laughs> the, uh, the entity then explodes, but Mantra... Wyreal and Shadow Mage can contain the explosion. At the same time, Tech, Choice, and Prototype download their information into their systems. Prototype is Prototype downloaded into his armor and he freezes up. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, he, him, Jimmy Reese, Prototype, doesn't download anything himself, right? Well, you know, I'd have to finish reading the Prototype series to find out for sure because he does have like techn- he has wetware, right? Well, yeah, Everybody he has wetware, wetware, and he yeah. also actually has a power of his own. Uh, he does. Right. He is actually an ultra, even without the suit and the powers, or without okay. the, without the, the wetware. Okay. Well, that's where we find out more about Choice, and that she's got some some uh, wetware in her head, and that's Tech's whole deal because she can talk to machines. Amber explodes, or it looks like she's exploded back on Earth and is assumed dead. But then we find out that she's in the desert, howling with some wolves, and she's gone a little nuts. That's a weird scene. I didn't get it. To be honest, Me <laughs> the- either. I think they were um, setting something up, maybe, with her character. And well, there is more that happens with her. Well, I think they were setting one thing up here, and then when Marvel bought Malibu, it went a whole different direction. Right. Um, everyone on Earth is back to normal, and our heroes are still on the moon, <laughs> left wondering about what's out there, still questioning their origins. But Hard Case, who's, I guess, like you said, this, the Captain America is kind of the Superman of this of this. Uh, of this ragtag group of heroes says that it's a new era and a new world order. Nothing will ever be the same. And then we're done with Breakthrough. Yep. Malibu's first and only company-wide crossover. What, what was Black September? That was a mistake. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. This was their uh, this was their first company wide crossover. Okay, this, this was their this was their crisis or their. I don't think works. Black September was a comic though. Was it just a trade dress. Can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I really can't remember. So yeah, so that's out, and then uh, uh, GP then moves on to Ultra Force. That he, I don't think he does it for very long at all, and then uh, he moves off of that. But uh, so this th- issue is by the same creative team as the first one. So it's just seeing here, I, I, it kind of threw me where you get Tet, whatever Mantra, Uriel, and Sh- Shadow Mage. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. And they're seeing all these other worlds. They have like windows right. in other worlds. And one of them they say they see the about gold that. and the elven magicians. Is that Shadow Mage's world maybe? Yes. Okay. I, think so. I wasn't sure about that. And then you see the Sorcerer's Realm because that's from That's for a mantra. Mantra. You see Dark Darkour which is out outrage. 
Then you yeah. see other worlds of sentient plants and bottomless seas, and then apocalypse apparently or something. It looks like down there, but okay, all right. I, I I thought maybe they were hinting at something. I didn't know what it was. Well, you know what I liked about this was um, it made the most sense for Hard Case and the Strangers to be kind of at the heart of this miniseries. Although the Strangers really don't do much, it's really it really concerns them in Hard Case more than anybody. Well. And I guess kind of Nightman to an extent, yep. not really, because they're the ones that got the jump start, right? Right, yeah. So, Prototype uh, and Solution didn't really get anything out of the jump start, as far as I know. Right. So right. I got to tell you that, like, I felt like number one was really, really interesting with a lot of build up, a lot of little mini character scenes, some good fighting, and it was like, oh man. This is this is this is pretty cool. Where is this going? And then number two, as I said, I, I don't think they, I don't know that there was ability to pay off for such the big build up. It was a bit of a letdown to me. Just because, I think maybe just, I mean the story flowed fine and everything, but at the end of it, it's just like, what was this story about really? Oh, it was about the going to the moon and figuring out your origins, but all it really was is let's go to the moon and talk to a Simon game, and then it was a volcano and it was over. Beep up or poop up. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think maybe it could have used another issue. Yeah. Or like a lot of this stuff could have just been paid off in in the individual books. Like the strangers, I really think should have had a bigger role, considering this concerns them more than anyone. Yeah. And uh, they felt a little sidelined for uh, for hard case. And mantra, like I love mantra, but. She she was just the one. You know what she is? She's like she was like the Uhura of the entire thing. <laughs> she's the one that understands Amber Hunt, and then she's the one that understands what's going on with Kevin and the and the alien. They definitely gave her a very feminine role in the story, right? I mean, there's definitely she's a, a warrior, yeah. But there's definitely that vibe of the the motherly Uhura. sort of role in the story, and she's um <laughs> Sigourney Weaver in uh, Galaxy Quest. Oh jeez. <laughs> Now, you mentioned how but short it was, art. and it could have been a third issue. Now, you posted a question on the Facebook group about the length of this uh, miniseries, right? Oh, I did. That's right, yeah. And you got a response from someone? Um, I think his name is Tom Mason, and I think he might have had something to do with with, <laughs> with, with, with this whole thing. With the Ultraverse, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you know, people just people just people just uh, reply on these boards, but uh, on these boards, listen to me using 1993. <laughs> on these BBSs, <laughs> yeah. Um, you used your 2400 baud modem. You logged into the BBS. You know what I remember about this era? Your free net account. Well, there was that, and um, uh, in college, college is where I first learned about the internet and using it, and and watching a guy try to download a picture of Christy Canyon for 30 minutes. From some message board or something. Yeah, you know, I had a I had a bit of a flashback because um, recently because yeah, the the Star Wars trailer just came out recently for the new movie, right? Episode. Seven. I don't know what you're talking about. Or episode seven. Anyway, they're on seven. <laughs> yeah, they're doing seven. It took them thirty years to get there, but they're on seven now. Anyway, so I remember when the trailer for episode one came out in what 1998. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I had a 2400 baud modem. And I had to, I didn't even have a, well, did I have a DOS computer? No, I think I, I think I had a Windows computer by that point. Anyway, and so we downloaded the trailer from a site that I found. And literally. Eight days later. It, well, it was about five hours to download a, you know, 45 second trailer. We would watch whatever we had downloaded so far. So we'd watch like two frames, like, 
Ooh. <laughs> so, you know, prototypes rocking that connection back to Ultratech. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, five, five hours to fax something. Right. But, uh, it was, uh, anyway, sorry. So Tom Mason then said that, uh, it just wasn't, they just didn't see it as a lucrative thing and it didn't really add anything to, uh, to have it extend more than two months. I think he said something about he just saw it as, a, as feeders to other books, right? Yeah. And it really does. I mean, it, it, it does tell you about everyone except the street-level guys. I think if, if, if you weren't interested in any of those guys to begin with, this book doesn't, doesn't do them any favors, really. Um, I don't know. I think I, I, what did you get out of Rune in this entire thing? Okay, well, I have a confession to make. I can't stand Rune. I really can't. That- I'm gonna, That's fine. I'm going to read a series and see if I can get on board with it, but I just can't stand the guy. So, but I just mean in terms of interest. You know well, what I mean? Like, but it reminds me of like in the in the '80s, like Marvel comics. Like, I don't know if I've I, I've, I've used this analogy on other podcasts before. I apologize if I've used it here on the Ultraverse Network. But Marvel comics, I don't know what they are yet. But talk to me about this when we're no West Coast Avengers. Like the early yeah. issues of West Coast Avengers. There's this one scene where there are it, you know because they take place in L.A. And they're on the freeway, and it's covered in snow. And they're saving people from this. And it says, D- to figure out what's happening here, read Thor number, blah, blah, blah. All right, the winter casket. And it's always stuck with me. And it's always like, that's the kind of thing I felt like these were. It's like, it's just the tiniest sliver of a taste. But you go, yeah. huh, I wonder if I, maybe I'll follow up on that. So I think it works from that perspective. Okay. I think Tom's onto something too by saying, you know, they didn't see the long term worthwhile right. of, of the miniseries. They're better off just getting leading people to the monthly books. And I feel like Marvel and DC take a complete opposite route nowadays. Take a letter, guys. Look at this. <laughs> because you know, when they put out a, a big miniseries or you know a big crossover event, there's like f- it's fifty different books, not fifty crossovers. It's not that you got to buy that issue of Superman and Captain Adam. It's that you've got to buy. Forever Evil Rogue's Revenge. You've got to buy Forever Evil Argus. You've got to buy Forever Evil Your Mom or whatever. Oh yeah. There's just it's there's a million little mini series, and it's 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 a quick cash grab. It's clearly what it is. It's a quick short term cash grab for the company, and I think he's right. There's no long term investment there. You're not unless you do event to event to event to event, which is what Marvel and DC are doing right now. Right. You're not. You know, sustaining your income from month to month. We could have used an issue three. I think, you know, any more GP is good GP as far as I'm concerned. I agree with that, but they they need something more besides the unknowable enemy then. There's got to be something more tangible. You know, a confrontation with Rex Mundy, you know, something. I I mean, I realize the Quattro and the the Omega team are there, but they're they're just there to just... Take up space, really. They're, and they're just, way outgunned and outnumbered. Yeah, they're they're just there to be somebody for them to fight. You well, know? you know what it is? It's that because there's so they're not many, but when the heroes flip on each other, mm-hmm. it it happens so quickly a lot of times, and it's that whole like that whole misunderstanding trope mm-hmm. where uh, before they team up, they got to fight. Right. But here they're fighting alongside each other, and then they betray each other, and then they then they're okay, kind of a thing. And it, I I just think. Uh, Especially with with these characters and being so young and these guys um, and the writing team or the creative teams behind them, I think I think that could have been fleshed out a little bit. I think uh, maybe if you had Bendis's breakthrough, we could have done with like a what, eight part series. 
eight-part series getting to the moon. Right. <laughs> it'd be all the conversations. It'd be full of, uh, you know, hard case going, oy vey, you know, right. and, and out-of-character co- comments and speech bubbles. So so one last note before we get into uh, the feedback. Um, do you think, because some of the, like, I think for Firearm and Nightman maybe, mm-hmm. this is an issue too. There's a, there's a company-wide crossover in right. the second or third month. And Prime, Hard Case, Strangers, you get the luxury of getting to know these guys for a bit before jumping into this. Jumping, no pun intended, jumping onto this. Do you think it was a little too early? It's a tough call. I mean, it's, it was definitely the right time for Prime and Strangers and Solution. Mantra, and Solution, I'm sorry, as you mentioned. And it's even sort of the right time for some of the other ones. Like, you know, Mantra was on issue six. Prototype was on issue five. Freaks was on issue six, so those all work fine. Even Solution at issue four was okay. Whereas, yeah, you've got a problem with Sludge, Solitaire, Nightman. All of those are too early in their run. And what's the consistent angle? And Firearm, by the way. And what's the consistent angle on all those? They they're not in, really included. They're exactly. they're sidelined. They're they're not really part of the crossover. They're not plotted. Recent. Yeah. So I, you know, I think they thought of that. And I think that shows by having those characters continuing their own stories rather and than Rune. being caught up. I forgot Rune. I didn't forget Rune. You did Okay. <laughs> I feel bad. A lot of people worked very hard to produce a very good book on Rune, and I am going to give it a chance. It's just... <sighs> it's Windsor Smith, man. I know. And I, I've heard... I love his art. I've never read it, but I understand that the Conan-Rune crossover is, pretty, is actually pretty cool. Everyone does rave about that. I'll tell you what's... Not that entertaining. The Rune Silver Surfer crossover, which I just read recently, I got it out of a uh, twenty cent box. And oh, wow! You're you're uh, you're undercutting Professor Allen. Yeah, I, I beat him by five cents. Um, it it was it was not good, but it had all kind of Infinity Gauntlet stuff too. So take that, Mister Economics. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, they. I guess they probably just really didn't plan for those other guys, so they just. Left them on the on the uh, on the on the earth, and real, a lot of those guys really don't make sense. Leave, especially firearm, firearm on the moon. Well, but <laughs> it, it, but I'm saying that I think they I think they did plan for them. They planned for them well by leaving them clear of the of the main thrust of the story. They mm. said, you know what, they're too new in their run. They need to flesh out their mm. own story. Just do the red skies. All right, you know, I, I think it, I think they planned it well. You know, overall, breakthrough, you get some cool stuff. You get Prime versus Hardcase, which has been building for a while. Prime's consistently talked about how Hardcase is his hero. You get George Perez, which is, you know, oh my gosh, wonderful to have there in the Ultraverse. You get Hardcase and the Solution teaming up, which, again, I think is just a match made in heaven. You get to see a lot of the strangers. Like you said, they may have been sidelined a bit, but they're still there, and they're still, you still get to see each one of the characters, and each one of their characters gets a moment or two, which is nice. So, overall, you know, I felt like breakthrough. It well, maybe not like a, an enormous success. I think it did its job. You know, I think it was entertaining. I liked it. Yeah, I, I did. I did. Plus, it had a it had your lady killer drawn by GP. There you go. I I don't think I've said that on the air, but I'm really getting on board with strangers. That's one of like my favorite books. I look forward to reading nowadays when I'm reading. Don't don't read issue 24 or is it 25? Because you'll be sad, and that's not a spoiler. It is it's exactly a spoiler. No, it isn't. Yes, it's it is. sad because that's the last issue. Oh, that's why I get sad. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not. A spoiler. Well, yeah. wait. What do you, What do you mean last issue? What do you, the Ultraverse got canceled? Spoilers. 
Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, I did the math not too long ago. Prime would be on something like issue 258 or something like that. If Jumping on. If it had continued straight on from number one. So. Elvin issue 175. <laughs> hey, somebody busted out the uh, Ripfire recently on the blog. What's up with that? He's the oh, he's the elf with the with the arrows, right? You wrote the blog post. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Ultraverse premiere, great idea. But that's we're getting we're getting uh, we're getting away from our we're all over from, the place from, from the topic at hand. Right. Feedback, Shag. Yeah, we wanted to just, feedback. We just want to take a second to. Um, Reader mail. Well, yeah. I mean, basically, you guys have been commenting on the blog. You've been putting comments on the Facebook group. You've been putting messages to us on Twitter, sent some emails, all these things. We really, really appreciate the feedback, folks. Thank you so very much. You guys have been really great, and it's wonderful to connect with fellow Ultraverse fans. And we just picked sort of a sampling of some of those comments, and we thought we would just kind of cover here on the show and say thanks. Okay. So, from Omactivate. At Mike Myers Brunch, uh, he tweeted, "Great first episode, guys. I have a complete run. I take it he means of the Ultraverse and loved it. I seem to love Dead Universes, and he's now on a milestone kick. I think Milestone had a, maybe a longer run. Um, that was from episode one. Episode two, John Yarbrough the second." Deuce says, uh, now I'm going to have to read the first issue of Solitaire and Sludge, and he's never read them before. You're in for a treat, John. You're in for a treat. Yeah? Let's see. And then we heard from my buddy Diablo Frank. We've warned you before. He's, he's, a, bit of a, he's a bit of a hot mess. He's nuts. He, he does his own show called the Marvel Superheroes Podcast, which, you, by the way, you should absolutely check out. And so he likes to be very controversial. Let's put it that way. So a lot of his comments are pretty hard to swallow. So I picked out some ones that are just kind of fun here. He says, um, I wasn't enamored with the Ultraverse writer's universe, but I also had problems with the lines, look, revolving around a specific style of coloring and a stable of developing artists who are not to my taste. Hamner, Robertson, Dodson, Lepresti, and combined look and combined looked like fluorescent Tupperware to me. Whereas Image looked like QVC Ginsu knives and Marvel like cracked old butter knives and Valiant like sporks. I don't understand. You know what? It all made sense to me when I read it, though. It's like when he described Valiant as a spork, I was like, it totally was. Yes. Spork? Yeah. It's sort of roundage edges. It's trying to be one thing, but it's it's trying to oh. be, it's trying to be two different things, edgy and but classic, and it's not um, succeeding at either. I would say the world's greatest utensil. <laughs> and QVC, you know, comparing image to Ginsu knives actually makes perfect sense. It's Sharp like, and they cut everything. Yeah, you know, it's it. It, it made sense to me, but he's he, he okay. and I are sort of on the wave, same wavelength, though. So. Oh, my anyway, God. He says, I do my own podcasting, so I thought about which Ultraverse show I could contribute to your network. And then I remembered that I only ever read uh, the much wiser creator-owned boutique like Bravera. I'll leave you my phone number. You guys just call me when you're ready for the Power and Glory cast. Little known fact, the miniseries was tangentially connected to American Flag. Or you yes, expand, that's true. Or you expand your scope to Aircell. I might still have some of those books with the plain-bound wrapper outer covers. But seriously, I'd listen to a Genesis Protectors podcast. Somebody get on that, huh? <laughs> Why don't you jump on that, Diablo Frank? <laughs> right. Make that happen, buddy. Yeah. Oh, man. Power and Glory. That was a great Howard Chaykin series. Yeah. It was. And it does set up the Plex, which is, of course, the thing that he's referring to in American Flag. There you go. 
I uh, got a note from Jeffrey Brown. He said when he was a kid, he really, quote, unquote, quote, when I was a kid, I really liked the design of Prototype's armor. Well, the Intro to Ultra Force was a selling point that got me interested back then. I am talking about Jimmy's armor. True that. I, I'm taking means of the, the was the uh, blue and yellow one the uh, or purple and yellow one was that Jimmy? Well, it, it, it gets confusing because you know there's there's the Jimmy armor, Bob. Then there's the original prototype armor, which was Bob Campbell, and then Bob Campbell right. has some of his own armor after this, and then eventually Bob Campbell becomes prototype again. And I want to say there might be yellow? armor at that point, which I'm just not that I'm not that familiar with what happens after it goes to Marvel. So we'll, I'll find okay. out as we get into it. Martin at Marty Undead or Nundead uh, said he it listened to episode two of Prime of Your Life. Great stuff. I haven't read a lot of those first issues, so it was nice to get more info. Um, he also wrote that the time the time of the podcast info is fine. <laughs> I guess he means the length of time. It, um, and uh, it filled two train journeys. Any plans to do a two-parter covering the Ultraverse cartoon? No. Really? A two-parter? Well, maybe not a two-parter. But here's the thing: not not appealing visually. <laughs> not appealing visually. I think at some point we're going to have to talk about it. Okay. I think we can. I mean, it's an animated series, dude. I fine. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Well, I'm not going to watch it. We'll talk You're about gonna it. You're going to have to. All right, anyway. anyway. Um, then episode three, we ran over Thanksgiving. Uh, for It was the Prime CD Romix. And uh, Diablo Frank said, that is the hardest, that was the hardest rockin' MIDI format would allow. He was yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, we talked about how they were sort of on the forefront creating this digital comics, you know, 20 years before, you know, Marvel or DC or, you know, 15 years before they got their head out of the sand. And he says, ah, the folly of the feeder road rolling alongside the heavy construction ahead of the information superhighway. <laughs> it was a, it was an interesting time. Jeffrey Brown again about this, uh, the cd romics uh, listening to this only made me wish there was an HBO animated prime series. If it's anything like Spawn... Okay. Um, then he said, uh, I also enjoyed listening to this one. Uh, he's now he's going to listen to it again while he colors a few more pages of a comic he's working on. Oh, congrats, congrats Jeffrey Brown. And uh, he's going to work on some fan, fan art in a, in a loose homage to the 90s animated series and Bruce Timm's Justice League cartoon. And he's Look posted that over on the uh, Facebook group. You should check it out. That's right. That's yep. right. Topaz. Yep. Right? Yeah. And uh, just, I mean, we also heard... This is sampling. We heard some other folks, like, you know, David Sopko and Alessandro uh, Roshi and a few other folks. I, I'm not going to dig it up right now, but we really appreciate the comments, folks. You can drop us a line on the Ultraverse uh, Facebook group. You can drop comments on the blog, which is ultraversepodcast.com. You can hit us up on Twitter, as we mentioned, which is ultraversenet on Twitter. Or you can send us an email, which is ultraversenetwork at gmail.com. We would love to yeah. hear from you. Let us know what you thought of Breakthrough. Good, bad, ugly, you know, whatever. Share all your thoughts on it. We'd love to hear it, and we'll read it on a future episode. Yeah, because we're getting a lot of mail from Ben Avery, who keeps talking about how this, how this Nightman podcast is great, and, oh, more Hostess Pie ads. <laughs> i got to tell you, Ben's Hostess Pie ads are quite possibly the highlight of the entire Ultraverse network. <laughs> they are cracking my junk up. Have a Merry Christmas, Shag. You as if you, well, if, or uh, I don't know Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. I don't know where where you how you punch your card there, but it's been. Uh, I want to say thank you for doing this with me this this last uh, these last few months for this year. 
I guess we'll see you next year. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have a couple episodes around the holiday season. We're you know David and I wow. we're, we're both family men, so we're gonna be busy. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna play a couple more of the CD Romics. You're gonna get to hear a hard case CD Romic and a freak CD Romics. Uh, one will come out the week of Christmas. The other will come out the week of New Year's. Right. But those aren't real. You know what I mean? That's not that's not us getting into it. That's not us digging in. Right. No. I, I'm loving this man. I'm the prime of our lives. You know, Ultraverse lasted what? You know, I guess a total of four years. Right. You know, really hardcore two and a half years, really, if you look at before the Marvel buyout, I guess, or whatever it is. And um, I, I hope we can keep this podcast going longer than that. So, well, we'll run out of things to talk about. We're gonna hire people. You, you know what the Charlton Arrow is? Have you heard of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Charlton Arrow is a book where they've they've gotten people who used to work on Charlton comics and other artists and writers more contemporary got involved in their creating new Charlton comics. So I think sooner or later, I mean, the, the next logical extension of this is we we gather together some forces and have them produce new Ultraverse comics. But they, since Marvel owns the license to all these characters, they'll, they'll have to create new Ultras. So. Since Disney owns... Oh, Disney the, owns, that's true. Yeah. That's true. The lawyers will come that, down. That's a, that's a mouse you don't tempt, man. <laughs> that guy comes with a shiv. <laughs> no cheese in the trap for that one, huh? No. All right. Goofy's always packing heat. Thanks for listening, folks. And uh, stay ultra. Jump on. Break through this. Happy Christmas. What have you done? <laughs> <laughs>